Hey everybody, welcome to this first Cross to Crown podcast of the year of our Lord, 2021. Are you like me? I'm sure you are. I hear people talk about this all the time. We are happy to see 2020 in the rearview mirror and hoping that 2021 turns out uh, better in so many ways. But I want to begin this year and this podcast with this statement, today's a good day. Today's a good day because Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ reigns over heaven and earth, and he reigned over heaven and earth in 2020. Nothing that happened last year was outside of his sovereign plan and control, and we don't know for sure what this next year holds, whether it's going to be a great prosperity and blessing or more trial or a mixture of both, uh, but we do know that a good and wise king sits on the throne over the entire universe. So as we start this, uh, this new year, I would ask you to grab something to drink nearby. Maybe it's a water bottle, maybe it's a cup of coffee. If you're on your way home, hopefully you have something in your car with you, but uh, if not, just raise your hand. But we're gonna raise a glass to the High King Jesus in honor of him. Let's do this together. Raise a glass to the High King, and there we go. Just toasted our Lord Jesus. Okay, uh, so let me give you a little uh, overview of where we're going here in this podcast. Uh, last year, I did, uh, early on in the year anyway, I did a, uh, a threefold recording every week. And uh, we covered three areas. One was manhood, one was uh, eldership or pastoral ministry, and then the third section was something on theology. And I want to get back to something along those lines, but I'm not going to uh, divvy it up quite as, uh, as systematically as I did before, and there's not going to be uh, a high production value of music in between each section, that kind of thing. Uh, I just want to share uh, along all these lines. But I'm still going to keep largely those themes in mind because I have a great concern for those areas. You look at our world, look at what happened last year, and uh, 2020 was just sort of the, the climax of things that have been building for many years, decades even, of deterioration in our culture and in the church. And uh, we may not be done yet. We may not have reached the, uh, the full climax here. Uh, and if, if we're going to turn things around in this world, in our nation, in the church, it's because it'll be because we have strong men in the home and in the church and in the world. So uh, if you're a woman, I'm happy to have you along and I hope you can get something out of this, but just know as we go forward, my attention, my focus is going to be on helping men become better men, helping men become better pastors and elders, and then helping us all to think uh, more Christ-centeredly and biblically in our, in our theology. So that's what we're going to do. Today we're going to begin a walk through the book of 1 Timothy, grabbing some high highlights. And in particular, we're going to talk about your role in keeping false teaching out of the church. So that's where we're heading. But before we do that, I want to discuss a few things that are going on in our world and in the news and uh, just give a few comments on those things. So the first part is uh, Donald Trump won. He won the election. I have talked to I don't know how many people in the last couple of weeks who apparently only watch the mainstream media or don't get much news at all. And they are rather oblivious to the fact that uh, there's a strong case to be made that the election results will be uh, different from what the news is telling us. This is going to be a crazy week. 
if you're listening to this on Monday or Tuesday or even Wednesday, uh, by, the, by the end of the week, if you happen to be listening to it after Wednesday, I think Wednesday, January 6th, is going to be a doozy of a day. Uh, there's going to be a huge rally in D.C., and uh, there is lots of uh, chatter in certain parts of the, uh, of the world, part, parts of the, uh, the media world, uh, especially social media, that, uh, th- that the state legislatures in the swing states are going to either decertify their Biden electoral votes or uh, they've all sent competing or contested electoral votes uh, to be counted. So uh, I won't get into all the details, but if you want to brush up on your uh, civics and read uh, the 12th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, you will see that uh, Vice President Pence has a significant role to play on January 6th as far as how the electoral votes are counted. And the fact that it's content- contested and that there are uh, re- representatives and senators that are going to object to the electoral votes that were sent back in, uh, in December. Uh, this is going to be, there's going to be a lot of chaos, a lot of debate. And uh, President Trump has, has uh, said that he has overwhelming evidence of major fraud. And uh, there's even some who are speculating that uh, there's been some covert military work that's been done that will stun us all as to what they've discovered. Now, how much of all of that is true? That remains to be seen. But if you're not aware of all of this, I would encourage you, take the time, do a little digging, read the 12th Amendment, and on Wednesday, January 6th, uh, keep an eye on what's going on uh, in Washington, D.C., and uh, we may find that there has been um, a lot going on behind the scenes to reveal quite a bit of, uh, of cheating and uh, fraudulent activity going back who knows how long. And it could have significant ramifications for our nation going forward. Well, this matters to us as Christians. It has to matter to us. Uh, we want just, fair elections. We want to know that we can trust uh, that our votes count. I had a small group last night and we were discussing around our table uh, just the idea, for instance, let's, let's think about the COVID situation, the, the mask wearing and the social distancing and the lockdowns and all of that. And there are plenty of people who are saying, you know, we need to submit to those guidelines out of love for our neighbor. And a case can be made there. But at what point is it not loving to our neighbor to allow government takeover, to allow leftist Marxist ideology to take over? Uh, What point do we have to stand up and defy the government because they are seeking uh, to usurp our freedoms and defy the constitution? It's not loving to our neighbor to just sit by and watch um, people illegally overturn the laws of our land. That's not loving. It's not right before God and it's not loving to our neighbor. Well, the same thing is true as we think about where the uh, the leftist agenda wants to take our nation. Uh, it is not loving to just sit back and do nothing to try to stop it. And of course, uh, we had the opportunity to vote, but we should also care that voting is done uh, righteously and justly. So all that to say, 
this is going to be a doozy of a week and it matters. And if you're not up on uh, the other side from what you hear in mainstream media, I would encourage you to take a look. Uh, one more thing on this and then we'll move on. Um, I hear the from the left, from the Democrats, a lot of statements like uh, the will of the people has been demonstrated with the elections and any pursuit of overturning the election is uh, is destroying our democracy and so on. Even some conservatives are saying that. Even some Christians are saying that. But you see, that's begging the question. Uh, the question is not, is it okay to overturn this election? That's not what's being suggested. The question is, what are the true results of the election? If indeed all of the voting was done legally and the majority of our people voted for uh, Biden, and the Electoral College sent their votes for Joe Biden, then we need to submit to the process. That's how the Constitution works. The Electoral College are the determiners of the, uh, the election. But if, uh, if the Electoral College was basing their votes on what they believed to be the popular vote of their states, and the, the popular vote was done illegally and fraudulently, then we certainly are not overturning the election. We're trying to get to the actual will of the people. Um, so that's uh, don't don't be sucked in by the the lies and the uh, the deceitful uh, comments, the begging of the question. All right, next news item I just wanted to address. I don't know if you saw the video going around of a family in Canada. I believe there were six people in a home, and uh, they were not all the same family, but they were gathering on New Year's Eve, and the police showed up and. Uh, dragged a couple of them out of the house. And I don't know all the details. I'm assuming the video is, is legit. Uh, but if that's true, uh, that's scary, folks. And uh, we need to know that if that's happening in Canada and we continue to move to the left here in America, those days are coming for us as well. Again, all part of why we need to make sure that the, uh, the Constitution remains uh, the law of the land and our freedoms that are uh, given there are upheld. This has direct implications for the gospel, for the freedom of speech, for the church, and so on. So it's a big deal. All right. Uh, another thing I wanted to just refer to along the way here is you've probably seen the sad news uh, and disappointing news that there's an investigation of Ravi Zacharias going on. Uh, Ravi, of course, died earlier, uh, well, last year now, uh, in 2020, and uh, there is indication from reports that uh, he may have been involved in some, uh, some sinful and possibly illegal activity. There are accusations of sexual assault or something along those lines. Now, I want to tell you, I haven't read the reports uh, carefully. I understand the, uh, the investigation is supposed to release their final report, I believe, this month here in January. I would just offer this caution. Uh, certainly, if the, the uh, accusations are accurate and he did sinful things and illegal things, that's going to tarnish his reputation, rightfully so. But let's wait for all the facts to come out. I know his, his daughter has even affirmed to some degree that she believes there's something to this, this, these allegations and the investigation. And that may all prove to be true. But let's be cautious and wait to see what the full report says and what the findings are and, and what the evidence is. Uh, in our day, uh, women who, uh, who complain and, and who feel sexually 
assaulted and abused by men, uh, their voice is usually the winning voice. And it, it may be that uh, there was no actual sin done, but these women are now saying that there was. And I, you know, it, it, it gives me pause, the fact that this was not brought out prior to his dying. And uh, so again, I don't know anything about the situation. We're too far away. I'm too far away. You are too. I just would say as a Christian, be careful not to jump on the bandwagon, even if his daughter agrees with it. Let's wait and see what comes out. And, uh, and we, we've seen it happen before, the, the Me Too idea. And again, this is not in any way to defend him if he's done something that's wrong. I'm just saying we don't have enough evidence and I want to hear what the evidence is before I jump to a conclusion. So I would just offer that as a caution. And finally, uh, in the news, just I'm sure you've seen the story, we, we just have reached a new level of absurdity when it comes to political correctness. But uh, last night or yesterday, the, uh, the chaplain of the U.S. Congress, uh, I believe it was the House side, um, as they were doing the, uh, the benediction, I get maybe this is at the beginning, beginning of the, uh, of the, uh, the session, um, the chaplain closed his, quote, prayer, which he prayed to God who reveals himself through all kinds of ways in this uh, polytheistic prayer. He closed it with, Amen and a woman, or amen and a women. I forget if it's singular or plural, but he basically thinks that amen is somehow uh, a gender word and uh, then said a woman. You've probably seen all the stories and the, the mocking that's been going on about it. Um, it's, it's just absurd. We, we have to stand for truth as Christians and not get on this bandwagon that's heading that direction. So uh, anyway, that's just a little fun and it's sad all together. All right, um, I do want to do a little commercial here for the New Covenant School of Theology. If you're not aware, uh, we at Cross to Crown Ministries have a seminary called the New Covenant School of Theology. And uh, if you know of any young men that are, well, they don't have to be young for that matter. If you know any men that are thinking about pursuing pastoral ministry and would uh, like to be educated in New Covenant theology, that's the, uh, the place we come from, then uh, have them look me up. Uh, they can go to newcovenantschooloftheology.org or crosstocrown.org, or they can go to the Cross to Crown Ministries Facebook page, or they can hit me up on Twitter at Doug Gooden, D-O-U-G-G-O-O-D-I-N. Any of those will get them to a place where they can get some information. But uh, we, ha we have a three-year curriculum. It's very cheap, $200 a course. That's not $200 a credit hour. That's $200 a course. We meet on Monday and Tuesday nights, so they're evening classes. They're block classes, so we cover an entire subject in uh, four weeks. It's uh, cheap, and we'll help try to find housing, and our goal is to train men who love the Lord Jesus, who love his people, who uh, know the word of God and know it well. Uh, when I was in seminary, I had uh, many, many theology classes and very few classes that covered the, uh, the actual Bible. Well, at New Covenant School of Theology, NCST for short, uh, we do just the opposite. We have some systematic theology classes, but uh, we cover virtually almost every book of the New Testament, and we have several classes that uh, handle most of the Old Testament as well. So if you know anybody who is interested in pastoral training and would be interested in moving to Colorado Springs, where it is lovely, uh, have them look us up. I get asked all the time if we have 
online classes? And the answer to that is we do not. We have talked about possibly trying to work that out. Um, it's fairly intensive as far as uh, is doing it well, but there's also just the question of does it, uh, does it fit well with our, um, our desire to train men in the church? We, we don't want to, uh, to be just an academic institution. We don't want to just fill people's heads with knowledge. We want to train, their, uh, train them in actual pastoral ministry. So uh, anyway, if you know anybody that's interested, have them look us up. All right, uh, so I told you that I, I have a passion for men and for church leaders. I want to talk to men here about manhood a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to watch or listen to the last series that I did on the seven core responsibilities of manhood. If you didn't, it's on YouTube. It's also uh, available as the podcast. It would be the last eight uh, podcasts that uh, we've done. But I care about manhood. It's important for men to understand what we are to be doing. In, uh, in one of those sessions in the seven core responsibilities, uh, I talked about the three main areas for men. We are to rule the earth, we are to rule our households, and we are to build the church. Those are the three main areas of responsibility. Let me say those again. Rule the earth, rule your household, build the church. So my question for you is, what plans do you have for each of those areas in 2021? I'm not a big resolution guy, but uh, there is something about a new year that encourages most of us to make plans, to set some goals and that kind of thing. And I think there, uh, the goals, and, uh, goals are good, systems are better. Uh, if you don't know what that means, let me know and uh, I'll expand on that further. But my question for you is, how are you going to rule and, sub and subdue the earth in year 2021? What's the Lord calling you to do? And again, if you don't know how that works, go back and listen to or watch those, uh, those seven or eight uh, core responsibilities, uh, the, the eight videos on the seven core responsibilities. But uh, it has to do with productivity. That's important for us as men. It's, our, it's, our, it's what we're made to do is to be productive. Uh, to protect those things under our care, the people under our care, the, the work that we do. Uh, so what are, you, what, what are you going to do in 2021 that's going to uh, bring civilization, that's going to bring structure, that's going to build something in this world? If you don't know, then I would encourage you to take some time, seek the Lord, and, and make a plan for how you can make a difference in this, in this world. Uh, what are you going to do to to rule your household. What do you need to work on next as a husband, as a father, at building your own kingdom there in your household? And then building the church. Uh, what are you going to do there? Well, again, I, I covered all that in that previous series. I want to spend a little bit of time here talking about a couple of specific areas. Uh, one is the outer man. One is the inner man. As you read the New Testament, you see that we as, as humans, as men, we have, we're, we're, a, we're a complex creature. We have two parts at least. We have the inner man that we normally think of as soul and spirit, mind, rationality, thoughts, all those things, feelings. And then the outer man, which is the body. And we are to take care of both of them. I think in the Christian circles, it's easy to downplay the significance of building the outer man and taking care of the outer man. Certainly in our culture, there is an increasing hostility toward caring about, uh, about our body. I just saw a uh, cover of, was it Cosmopolitan magazine? One of, the, one of the women's magazines today I saw going around on Twitter where they had uh, a couple of obese 
women and the 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 cover the title was oh this is healthy or obesity is healthy or something along those lines basically uh, saying that there's nothing wrong with being way overweight. Well, it's not healthy. I think everybody understands that. And certainly we can go too far the other way and be preoccupied with appearance. And that's not what I'm talking about, although I don't think there's anything wrong with caring about your appearance. But I'm concerned that we are building our strength. For men especially, if you do some research, you'll see that they say that after about the age of 30 or so, we continue as men to lose muscle mass and our testosterone begins to decline significantly. And there is good evidence to suggest that the aging process does not have to mean great decline and weakness and sickness for men. Now, there are things out of our control. There are diseases and things that we can't prevent, but there are diseases that can be prevented by being in good health. And part of being in good health is to build the outer man, to physically build it, to get stronger. We need muscle for everything we do. Uh, I've told the story before, but this really got my attention as I watched my dad and my uncle uh, reached the end of their lives. They both lived long lives. My dad died a couple years ago at the age of 96. My uncle died last year at the age of 98. They, uh, they had a good quality of life largely, but my dad was probably carrying around an extra 75 pounds. My uncle was thin. And their quality of lives were directly related, proportional to their fitness. My uncle walked like crazy, even in his last months. Uh, he'd go on long walks with us when we'd go back to visit him. Uh, my dad, those last few years, had a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, joints, everything hurt, and largely to do with his extra weight. Uh, so we don't, we don't have to get there. We can, uh, we can get control of our outer man. So I would encourage you to, uh, to have a plan for your outer man, have a plan to get to whatever weight you need to be, to lose whatever fat you may need to lose, and to build muscle. And we're gonna talk more about that in, in upcoming uh, podcasts, but I just encourage you to think about it, plan for it, and not underestimate how important the outer man is. Then on the inner man, we're to work on that as well. And I wanna spend a, a couple minutes here just looking at the Proverbs. If you are not a student of the Proverbs, I urge you to be become a great student of Proverbs because it is just rich with very practical um, advice, wisdom for us as men. So I want to start, I'm going to jump in the middle in chapter 10 and read chapter 10 verses 4 and 5. Here they are. The one who is lazy becomes poor, but the one who works diligently becomes wealthy. The one who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but, but the one who sleeps during harvest is a shameful son. So in these two verses, we see very laid out very clearly, if you're lazy, it's going to lead to poverty. But if you work hard, you will become wealthy. If you gather crops when it's time, when it's summer, you work hard in the summer, uh, you're wise. You're shameful if you're sleeping when you ought to be working. There's a time for sleep, and there's a time for rest, and there's a time to get after it. Uh, wealth, by the way, is not inherently sinful. We should be building wealth. You should be building wealth. You should have a plan for building wealth. Uh, loving money is certainly uh, a sin and leads to all, all kinds of sin. 
Um, but wealth is not a sin. We need wealth. You need it. Your family needs it. Uh, the Proverbs will go on and talk about leaving an inheritance for your children. The church needs money. Wealth is not the problem. It's greed that is the problem. Building wealth is a good thing. So my question is, what plan do you have for increasing your wealth? Do you think of your job as merely something that lets you pay the bills? You, you got to go work for the man. You go do your thing for 40 hours a week, but you can't wait for the weekend. Just can't wait for the weekend so you can just party or rest or watch football or whatever. That may be the American life. That is not a godly life. Don't think of your job that way. Think of your job as just one of the means that you have to build wealth, but also think of other means. Uh, this involves all kinds of things like uh, investing for retirement so that compound interest is, is your friend. If you are in your 20s or 30s and you're not socking away money to take advantage of compound interest, I, I just urge you, un learn and understand what compound interest will do for you. Get into a Roth IRA kind of thing. Uh, even if you're in your 40s or 50s, it's not too late uh, to set aside time and start building wealth. Uh, one of the ways that I do this is in the uh, stock market. Uh, last year was a great year for me. Uh, I had been saving cash and waiting for the right opportunity. And back in March, when COVID hit and lockdown hit and the stock market crashed, I think it was the largest crash in a single day in our history. It's, if I remember correctly, it was worse than uh, the, the, uh, the Great Depression, um, Black Monday, uh, Black Friday, whatever it was, Black Friday, um, the 1929. It was certainly on the same level. And uh, that was the time to buy. It was the time to jump in. And I ended up uh, just in the individual companies that I bought. Uh, my profit margin at the end of uh, December was 41.6%. It was a good year. And that's a way to, for me to build wealth. And, uh, and I have a plan now to keep investing in 2021. It's not going to be as easy. <laughs> I don't expect there to be a, a black swan event like that again. Uh, but that's just one way to do it. Uh, my son, who just turned 16, uh, he's been working for almost two years. And he works all summer full-time for a landscaping company. And they also do snow, snow removal in the winter. And uh, he's been working as much as, as they can give him hours. And he saved up. He bought his own car. He doesn't even have his license yet, but he has a car. And uh, just on Friday, uh, not Friday, on Saturday, he and I went down to the guitar center and he invested in a, a $2,000 Taylor guitar. Now, if you follow me and follow our podcast, you know that uh, he's a good musician and he's done some recording and we're hoping to get his first full album out in March. Um, so it, it, is not just a hobby, it's something he's hoping to, uh, to build wealth with. But I'm so proud of him as a, as a now 16-year-old that he had saved up enough money to buy this really nice guitar. And he buys uh, most of what he uses and owns. We, we're, we, don't, we provide food, we provide basic needs, but he, anything he wants, anything that's not part of a need, uh, he buys. Uh, he's been building wealth and he's saving money and he's invested in the stock market. So anyway, those are just some ways where uh, we are working hard and diligently to become uh, wealthy and avoiding being lazy and just wasting time in video games and social media and, and all those things that uh, both uh, men my age and boys his age are tempted to do. So my question to you again is, uh, what 
plan do you have uh, to work on the inner man and especially very practically to work hard to grow your wealth? All right, so with that, let's turn our attention for this final segment here to 1 Timothy. And we're just going to spend a little time in the, uh, the first chapter, the first few verses, to capture the big picture of what's going on here, and especially getting back to the theme that I mentioned earlier, uh, your role, my role, in keeping false teachers out of the church. So Paul writes to uh, Timothy, and uh, he, I love in verse 2 how he calls Timothy his genuine child in the faith. I hear that and I think, oh, I wish I had a Paul. Uh, maybe you've heard, it's kind of a cliche now in Christian circles that um, everybody needs a Paul, everybody needs a Barnabas, everybody needs a Timothy. And the idea there is every man needs someone who's older than them in the faith, a more mature man, to, uh, to mentor them. And then everybody needs a Barnabas, someone who's a peer, who's a friend, like Paul had Paul and Barnabas. And then everybody needs a Timothy, someone younger, who they can invest in and mentor. And I, I referred to this even in the uh, Core Responsibilities uh, series. Uh, and I, I believe that's true. I believe that's wise. Uh, I don't have a Paul right now. It's been, it's been a few years since I've had someone, a man, who was uh, significantly older than me and older than me in the faith, who was willing to invest the time in me. And I, and I miss that. I've had some in my life, but I haven't had it recently. And this makes me think, you know, I need to, need to seek that out. Um, Timothy benefited so much from having Paul invest in him, bring him alongside him in ministry. And my dad did this for me. Uh, I grew up, my dad was a, an elder. He was a, a co-vocational or bi-vocational pastor. So he had a full-time job as well as full-time job with the church. And in both cases, when he, he was a, a maintenance man, he was a Mr. Fix-It uh, for a nursing care facility. And uh, he often took me, especially on Saturdays when he had to go in to fix something that broke, he'd take me with him and, and I'd be there while he was fixing things. And uh, he took me with him when he went to visit people in the hospital and when he went to uh, do counseling and, and such whenever it was appropriate. And he just dragged me along and I got to see him serve the Lord and serve people uh, just by watching what he did. And Timothy got to do that with Paul. And uh, what a blessing that must be. So my question, one question I have for you is, do you have a Paul? Do you have someone who you can look to, someone who's willing to bring you along as they, as they minister, someone who loves you like a, like a son in the faith. That's, what, that's how Paul says here, you're my genuine child in the faith. Uh, in this, this relationship we have with Jesus, I love you like my own son, Paul says. What a great thing. And I would encourage you to also think about who you might take alongside as a Timothy. There's somebody, there's a man somewhere in your church or nearby who is younger in the faith than you are, who would love for you to incorporate them in your family. Think about um, if, if you're married and have kids and uh, there's a newly married man or an engaged man, or maybe even he's just a single man. Uh, so you're younger maybe, but he's even younger than you. To invite him to your house, to see how you treat your wife, to see how you treat your kids, uh, that would be a great blessing to him as he prepares for his own family. And if you're a little further down the path and you're past, in middle age or past middle age, you know, grab a 30-something family, especially a man, and invite them into your home. Uh, we need that. It's good for everybody. That's where so much true 
edification and fellowship and building goes on. It's not just to have relationships and friendships, but ministry, gospel ministry, church edification grows out of that so much. So I love how Paul refers to Timothy here as his genuine child in the faith. And he says in verse 3, he says, I urged you when I was leaving for Macedonia to stay on in Ephesus. And here's what Timothy was to do in Ephesus. Instruct certain people not to spread false teachings. So there in the first century, beginning of the church, there are men in the church who are speaking falsehoods. They are teaching falsehood. And Paul is very concerned that that gets stopped. And so Timothy's job is to instruct these teachers who are teaching falsehood to stop it, to cut it out. We should probably make a distinction between those who are teaching falsehood and false teachers. We typically refer to false teachers as heretics, as, as men who are not Christians and who are leading people to hell, basically. That's not what's going on here. These are not false teachers in that sense. They are teachers who are teaching falsehoods. Uh, so Paul is not saying these men are not believers, but they have no business teaching what they are teaching, and Timothy's job is to shut them down. This was happening in Ephesus in the first century. You can be sure that it's going to happen in your church sooner or later. Are you on the alert for that? Now, maybe you're not officially a leader in the church, or maybe you are, but even if you're not, you can play a role here, and you can certainly alert your pastors and elders when you hear it and see it going on. It matters. Truth matters. Getting back to our discussion about what's going on in our culture and leftism and Marxism and, and all that and the politically correct speech and, and, and praying to God, amen, and a women, all that stuff, they're at the heart of all that is, is lies. It's error. And we, we can't stop all the error that goes on in our world for sure. But as, a, as, as the church... Truth matters. Jesus Christ is the truth. He came to bear witness to the truth. We must be very careful. We will lose the church if we don't shut down false teaching. Now he goes on to describe this false teaching. Uh, tell them to, to not spread the false teaching, nor to occupy themselves with myths and interminable genealogies. Such things promote, promote useless speculations rather than God's redemptive plan that operates by faith. So this, this false teaching is distracting from the heart of the gospel, from Christ, from believing and trusting in Jesus and, and obeying Jesus, and instead it leads to what he calls useless speculations, myths, interminable gene genealogies, which is probably referring to some uh, Jewish influence, which uh, he certainly develops in the next section, which we'll look at next week. But the point is, false teaching, one of the problems with false teaching is it distracts from the center. It, it leads people into a ditch on the right side or the left side, away from the center, which is Christ, and obeying Him, and trusting Him, and believing His death and resurrection, and, and so on. And Paul says they have to be stopped. Well, in our day... Uh, maybe myths and interminable genealogies is not the biggest concern. But think about what's going on in the church here in America today. Think about the potential divisions and distractions going on. There's probably nothing bigger than the, uh, the critical race theory 
the racist accusations and the uh, the feminist uh, women-centered stuff that's going on. Uh, I'm not part of the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, but I see from afar what's happening there. And those things, uh, social gospel, social justice, critical race theory, and women in ministry, women in, in, in pastoral ministry, teaching, and so on, that's going to tear apart the SBC, I believe. I will be surprised if a year from now the SBC is intact. I, I predicted that it would have had a massive split a year ago after the, uh, the general convention, but I, as I understand it, that convention was postponed because of COVID. So when they get together again, uh, I think it's going to be bad. And in my own denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, we're not very far behind. I don't hear as much about critical race stuff and social justice things, but certainly uh, women in the roles of pastor and elder and teaching and preaching, that kind of stuff. Uh, we're actually probably ahead of the SBC in some of that. And uh, this coming uh, spring, we have our big general council and I suspect the outcome of that is going to be um, some division that occurs because of, of these things. The, the social justice and, and this, the whole package, which includes, you know, do we, um, do we submit to the government and lockdown and mask wearing, all those things, uh, it, it distracts from the core. It distracts from Christ. And in some cases, it probably leads people to a false gospel. But even where it doesn't, it, when we have teachers that spend the majority of their time in the pulpits, in our adult education, or in our youth education for that matter, children's education, if they spend their time trying to make everything about racism, when racism is not objectively a major issue in our world, 40, 50 years ago, it was much bigger. Certainly 100 years ago, it was massive. 200 years ago, absolutely. But now we have this, it's a political move. It's a Marxist move. It's a desire to disrupt the peace and stability and focus of Western civilization. And the heart of Western civilization is Christianity. This all flows from the, the Frankfurt School. If you don't know anything about this, uh, I did a, a lengthy sermon series this summer dealing with all the things going on in our culture and what the Bible says about it and why it matters, social justice and Marxism and critical race theory and feminism, all those things. And uh, you can go back and, and if you send me a, a note, I'll happy to send you a link or you can find it on our website or on the Front Range Alliance Church website. It's called, uh, it's frontrangealliance.org. Anyway, uh, if, if this is all new to you, you need to get educated because it's not going away anytime soon. And it's going to continue to drive a wedge between Christians in the church and, and in Christian ministries and so on. There are entire Christian ministries that once were, uh, at least they gave the appearance, of bastions of gospel-centered uh, theology and, and practice. And it seems like they're just caught up in so much of, of this other stuff. Uh, the Gospel Coalition, I believe, is one of them. And I don't intend to be unnecessarily um, harsh in calling them out. There are some who are taking them to task big time, and maybe that is the, the right approach. 
there is warrant to be concerned about the Gospel Coalition and uh, so much of what they are, are saying and some of the other uh, significant ministries as well. But don't just jump on social media and Twitter and start seeing these people who are critiquing them and jump on that bandwagon. You need to be educated. You need to understand the issues so that you can critique them intelligently uh, and not just be mean-spirited by following others who are in the know. So you need to learn this stuff. You need to understand what Marxism is all about. You need to learn what cultural Marxism is about. And you need to see how those things are not only infiltrating Western civilization and American politics and so on, but how it's infiltrating the church and promoting useless dialogue rather than the gospel, rather than the plan, the administration of God by faith, which is the, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It matters. And if we don't correct this teaching, if we allow it to continue in our churches, it's going to, it's going to do great damage. If you're a pastor or an elder, you must not teach critical theory. You must not teach the social justice lies that are being spread by the Marxists. You must not allow feminism uh, and certainly the, uh, the sexual perversions of homosexuality and so on. You must not allow those to, to continue. You need to stop anyone who's teaching these things. You need to protect the purity of the gospel in your church. But even if you're not an elder or a pastor, you need to know what's going on. So you can spot it, so you can call it out, so you can uh, discuss it with church leaders. It matters. Truth matters. So much so that Paul tells Timothy, I need you elsewhere, but I'm going to leave you here in Ephesus while I go somewhere else. Because you've got to shut down these teachers of falsehood because it has significant negative ramifications for the church. So, do the hard work. Dig in if you don't know about these things. Are there other distractions in our churches today? Of course. And maybe yours isn't dealing with this. Maybe it's something else. But it's hard for me to think there are very many churches in America who are not impacted in some way by social justice, critical theory, racism, and those kind of things. And I would urge you to become very well educated, know your stuff, so that you can help point people to the, the gospel, the true gospel, the biblical faith, rather than these, uh, these other issues. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I, uh, I hope it's edifying to you. If you have things in the news or other issues that you think it would be uh, helpful for me to address, feel free to, uh, to reach out to me. Again, my, on Twitter, I'm at Doug Gooden, D-O-U-G-G-O-O-D-I-N. Or you can hit us up on the Cross to Crown Ministries Facebook page. Um, and always, you can go to crosstocrown.org for a wealth of resources in theology and New Covenant theology. That's all I have today. I urge you to live this week intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things, and look forward to joining with you next week.